Welcome to the Waypoint What's the Point podcast. I'm Danny, uh, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church, and this is our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about all things life and ministry, uh, what's going on in our church, and hear from uh, staff members and ministry leaders and uh, people in our congregation. And we're excited today. I'm co-hosting with my wife and also our uh, women's discipleship director, Erica. And uh, what are we going to talk about today, Erica? Liturgy. Liturgy. Okay. For some of you, this might be something you're very familiar with. With others, you may. Uh, this may be an introduction. And uh, so we're so glad you've joined us. And we have two special guests, members of our congregation. And just so you know, how they got involved in this is because I had a random conversation with both of them somewhere in the past three years where they mentioned that they're they like liturgy or they're interested in it. And now they're on a podcast. So be careful what you say. <laughs> To, to me, and you might end up on a podcast, uh, but so glad to have them. And to start, introduce yourself, and then the icebreaker is going to be uh, what book or movie or TV show have you been watching or learning or reading from lately? Thanks, Danny. Uh, great. I'm Wesley, Wesley Jordan. Uh, and yes, what? Uh, so I'm reading and listening to a number of things about uh, Rome. So a podcast on the history of Rome uh, and a book trilogy on uh, Cicero in his days, historical fiction. Uh, so I'm then probably going to start watching some things related to Rome. Okay, awesome. I'd like to hear more. Cicero, what do you think? Pretty fascinating? Fascinating individual in terms of his influence on history uh, and especially the history of Rome. That's awesome. And what do you do, Wesley? What's your, what's your job? And, yeah. uh, right. Th- I work with World Vision uh, in the area of microfinance. Uh, and so I work with a, a global team. Uh, I don't have an office here, but my office is with my colleagues in other parts of the world. Awesome. Well, glad to have you. And Carissa? Um, thanks for having having me on the podcast again. Be careful what you say to Pastor Danny. You never know. <laughs> you'll, you'll remember. Um, but my name is Carissa Cam. Um, I've been coming to Waypoint since right before the pandemic, but maybe officially more uh, regularly for about a year and a half or so. Um, I am a pediatric pharmacist at UNC. Um, so in terms of what I've been watching or reading lately, um, definitely This Is Us, the last season. Um, and then in terms of reading, I like a lot of historical fiction as well. So lately I've been reading um, one of Kristen Harmel's books. I just started um, the Forest of Vanishing Stars. Um, a couple months ago, I had read her book on the Book of Lost Names, um, but a lot of her books are based off of real-life historical events that had happened of different people um, who were very influential in rescuing Jews um, during World War II from the Nazis. So, Cool. All right. Yeah, we um, we have been watching This Is Us too, and this season is killing me. It is definitely a tearjerker. Um, we've also, just for fun, um, watched, there's a sitcom called Abbott Elementary. It's about an under-resourced school in Pittsburgh, and it's really, really funny. And um, I'm also curious about this uh, Bel Air uh, reboot, but uh, Derek um, had never seen the original Fresh Prince of Bel Air, so we, the two of us have been watching that, um, and it, it holds up. It's it's pretty funny still. Um, as far as what I've been reading, I just finished a memoir um, by Philip Yancey, and he's a Christian journalist. Um, 
about 20 years ago, wrote What's So Amazing About Grace and the Jesus I Never Knew that were really, um, really popular books and really influential in my Christian life. But this tells his um, story growing up. There's a lot of abuse. It's really gritty. I would say it's similar to um, Hillbilly Elegy or Educated. But at the end, there's hope. So um, I'd say it's beautifully written. I highly recommend it. Yeah, so uh, I'm presently finishing Anna Karenina, which I started over mm. a year ago, mm. and then I stuff happened, so I went back to it, and it's so daunting that it just takes a long time. So I'm doing like a combo deal where I have like the physical book, the Kindle, and I listen to it, so that way I can keep it going. Because if you don't, you just you just get lost. Uh, I'm almost done. I looked at the I, nice. I looked at the Kindle and it said I'm at like ninety ninety one percent of the book. So don't tell me what happens right at the end if anybody knows. And then uh, reading a lot of you know just theology and other books too. But that's probably been my main thing. And Erica mentioned the TV shows. I'm also enjoying college basketball right now because my football sec football school auburn that i went to is randomly good at basketball now so that's been kind of fun uh, yes so that's that's me and thanks guys so much for being on the podcast we're really glad to have you exactly and so uh, just to get us started here um let's define liturgy what is liturgy yeah so liturgy is a christian word uh i mean if you look it up in the dictionary it's it's really linked to the Christian worship, and uh, it's it's basically the easiest definition I found is just the pattern of worship. Uh, now, most people, when you think of liturgical churches, or you think of Catholic, probably first, and then Episcopal, and then uh, down the chain, Lutheran, Methodist, and uh, Presbyterian all have liturgy. So I would say the Catholic Church has the most liturgy, and then the Anglican Church or Episcopal Church has the second most because it's the closest to historic the, the Catholic Church as far as they haven't changed that much over time. And then I would say the other Protestant denominations uh, also have liturgy, what we would call liturgy. And then by the time you get to the Baptist movement uh, in America, by the 50s or 60s, uh, a lot of churches say they don't have liturgy. But if liturgy is just a pattern of worship, I would say all churches have liturgy. Just your liturgy is three songs, a prayer, uh, you know, three songs of prayer, a 42-minute sermon, and two songs or something. That also is liturgy. Right. It's the pattern that you practice each week in your congregation. So so there's kind of, there's the real definition, which is just the pattern, and then there's what most Christians would think of as liturgy. Then there's also something which we would call the Christian calendar, but people also call it the liturgical Total. year, and that's where you... Uh, practice holidays and Christian celebrations and times of, of, of fasting and feasting. And you also have specific Bible passages that you continually use on a one-year and then a three-year cycle. So uh, the churches that practice this, uh, so that everyone in the church is continually hearing the whole Bible over three years. Interesting if you think, well, we're Baptists or we're this non-denominational. If you followed a Sunday school curriculum, they did the same thing. Every church, every denomination followed this pattern in their teaching for children and their teaching for adults. Normally they did it through the Sunday school and 
curriculum. Now that we don't have Sunday school as much, we've kind of even lost that pattern. That's why at Waypoint we've chosen to preach through the Bible in 10 years, to do Bible reading plans, and like the children's ministry cycles through the Bible over the course of a period of time. The youth ministry is doing the same thing. So that's that's what is liturgy. Yeah, I think um, when we think of liturgical churches, we normally think of churches uh, like prayers that were pre-written, but like Danny was saying, like liturgy can also be thought of as habits of worship. So like maybe even like you might have like a morning liturgy, you get your coffee, then you sit down, then you, you know, scroll your phone or say a prayer, but um, it can also be habits of worship and personal life or in churches too. Um, so what is the history of liturgy in the church? Yeah, and you guys can pipe in, but I'm the sometimes the resident theologian at Waypoint. I don't know. I just I really like to research. There's a few other Enneagram fives. So yeah, you guys have any thoughts before we move on to the history of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I guess some of the connotations that you mentioned with certain denominations. um, Sometimes growing up, maybe before I fully understood what liturgy was, kind of like you were saying, it's more of a rhythm or pattern of worship. A lot of times I think of liturgical churches, my honest opinion is like, it's very stiff, it's very uh, formal, um, maybe it seems a little manufactured a little bit, um, but, um, and we'll, I think, talk about this later on in the podcast, um, how um, certain aspects of liturgy, I think, are helpful also for us, um, not just as corporate worship, but also in our personal worship as well. Yeah. Wesley, any thoughts for me? Or yeah. you might even know I, some of the history, too. Well, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying about, like, every church, we still have a liturgy, even though we might have a high liturgy. Like, we, we open with one song and close with three. And and the way, you know, actually, when one thing that really helped, what's nice is when, uh, when sort of commissioning and benedicting everyone, it's, you know, love the triangle, love the nations, serve the triangle, serve the nations. And that's sort of our go-forth final words closing benedicting commissioning sending it's the same words every week which is good uh, it reinforces that um that mission we have yeah good thoughts and and just so you know the history of it is it man-made or in the bible and the answer is both uh there are elements of you know practices the the old testament was very heavy on what we would call liturgy and then some people would say but no under the law we i mean that was they were under the law but we're under grace luther freed us from this but if you look at luther he had a strong we would we would think luther is extremely liturgical if we met him today so it's not so the idea of uh the old testament and the new testament didn't move the church from hey now we just kind of just show up and do whatever we want. No, we, the, the the early church had patterns. Now, obviously, they met in homes. They were fleeing Roman persecution. They were, you know, they were figuring things out. So their the earliest church's patterns might look different and, and in different cultural contexts. But historically, every church has had patterns. Uh, people were illiterate pretty much for most of human history. Only the upper upper crust of society and a few other people might be allowed to learn how to read, and books were in limited supply. So liturgy was very very important to remember, for the church, yeah, to throughout its history. To yeah. tell the story, and and even even 
like the idea of a liturgical calendar. I mean, there were there were seasons in with the Israelites, with the Hebrews. You know, there were the seasons. They had their own sort of liturgical calendar, and that continued with the church and the early church. And and in, and yeah, liturgy is not law. Liturgy is liturgy. Liturgy is that worship pattern of worship. And there, you know, when you see Paul. There, there are elements like in Philippians and other books where he's quoting a song, you know, because that would be commonly held, commonly known, and that would have been part of that liturgy. Yeah, we think there are places in Paul's letters that would be early Christian songs that yeah. obviously they sung the Psalms, that would have been their main song book yeah. and main praise book, but they had already, by the time of the New Testament church, the letters. There are already liturgies and, and psalms, songs of praise that show up in Paul's letters. Right. Where Paul, also, yeah, Paul will say, like, as it is said, such an, you know. And then, <laughs> right, and different creeds to help people, to your point about people not being able to read, um, different creeds for people to be able to distill down what what is the Christian faith, what do we believe. Yeah, so it's a good thing, and just because your tradition may not have fully embraced it or had a different form of liturgy, one thing we're trying to do at Waypoint is we we want to learn from all the different traditions and all the different uh, churches throughout history and even churches throughout the world. So we're always open, always learning, always reforming, always trying to grow and ask God, what are ways we can incorporate uh, different aspects and elements into our corporate worship and our individual worship, whether it's on Sunday mornings in our weekly gathering or our community groups or other times. So yeah, so we're real excited. So that's a little bit of the history of it. And um, now we're gonna move into just hearing more of you guys' story and how liturgy has been a part of your experience. So uh, what was worship like in the church that you grew up in? So that's where I wanna, I wanna hear from all, all three of you on that. So why don't we start with you, Carissa? Sure. Um, I mostly grew up in a home church. My home church in Atlanta is the Presbyterian Church in America, PCA Church. Um, so in terms of worship style, um, probably similar to here at Waypoint in terms of more contemporary music. Um, but in terms of their corporate worship, um, there was um, some liturgy that was incorporated. So always like a call to worship, whether that was a um, from you know, Bible verses from the Psalms, or if it was um, a prayer or something that um, either a pastor had written or um, from reading from other Christian writers of believers. Um, and not every time, but um, sometimes they would also incorporate other creeds, for example. So maybe like the Apostles' Creed, and as a congregation, we would read responsively um, or potentially um, segments of different catechisms or like the Nicene Creed. Um, and then periodically, I think probably what most people are familiar with, maybe um, uh, reciting or reading aloud the Lord's Prayer. Um, so those were similar types of things. Um, we did generally also have a time of prayer um, and then weekly also a time of um, corporate con confession, like silent confession, but that would often be started with either um, some Bible verses or from some other prayers um, of confession that other people have written. Um, I know that was how I was introduced to a book called um, The Valley of Vision, um, a lot of Puritan prayers. Um, so that's some of my experience growing up in the church um, with regards to corporate um, corporate worship and liturgy. Right. I, I grew up in a, a Southern Baptist church, 
So, so was the liturgy, liturgy like the casseroles? And, yes, uh, the casseroles and Sunday night dinner and Sunday night service and Wednesday night You can night get some service. of the best food. In Me- I don't know who has better food, the Methodists or the, Ca- or the yeah, Baptists, that's, that's, but they, it's, they rival each other in the South. <laughs> the, uh, so I, I, there, was, there was no such thing as liturgy really other than like yeah, handbells sometime around Christmas <laughs> and the choir wore robes and the organ was just over everything i don't know it was yeah how often did you guys practice the lord's supper or take the lord's supper in your church rarely yeah so it's it's an interesting fact that lord's supper was extremely important to the early church and by the 1960s and 70s in america it got to the point where some churches were doing it non-denominational baptist churches were doing it two or three times a year right we were which rare. became it's it's not good or bad a bit but it is one of the few things that we know the early church did all the other stuff we're just speculating and and, and we're, we we get good glimpses from the letters but it is interesting that it got to the point where the american church many american churches were only take partaking in the lord's supper once or twice a year yeah. maybe three times and then christmas and Easter, that was the whole, that was all they kept from the right. from the historic church. So that's interesting that you said that, because I was part of that group too. My, my church did not practice hardly anything. Uh, so when I found out about it, it was, it was very exciting for me to see that there was other ways that I could be interact, engage in the worship service. How about you, Erica? So I grew up in the Methodist church, so I was very liturgical. Um, we... Um, sang from a hymn book we um, had um, reading congregational readings where we would recite back um, we recited the Apostles Creed every week um, the Lord's Prayer at the end of the congregational prayer and sixth grade I was actually an acolyte I wore a robe and brought the light down and lit the candles up front and sat with a choir and we had a choir um, too um, I did not um, have a strong opinion either way like I didn't think um, oh this is the best way to worship but I didn't like dislike it um, necessarily I I did become a Christian um, at a young age later um, and I know we're getting into a future question oh, I, that's the, okay that's the next question <laughs> okay. you can jump ahead okay I can jump ahead um, when I went to college um, I experienced a lot of different uh, denominations I went to like a um, a non-denominational Bible church for a while that was very, um, I guess we'd say low church, not much liturgy. I went to PCA, Presbyterian Church, for a while. Um, and I've experienced a lot, but looking back, I'm so thankful for certain aspects of liturgy. For one, I remember there was a time about, now it's been about 10 years ago, when I was uh, really sick, I was in the hospital for about a a week um, and I was really hard to pray to concentrate but I could remember the Lord's Prayer and I could remember the Apostles Creed and those were things I could repeat over and over again and I was just so thankful for like the way that had been ingrained in me almost without realizing it another thing that was interesting um, when Danny and I were first married we were back in a liturgical church and I really started to read the, the prayers that we were doing and it was just so touching I'm like wow I'm reading a prayer that says you know forgive me for my willful sins and for the for the good I've chosen not to do and I'm like internalizing that and it was 
it was it's a different way yeah to pray than when someone else is praying for you which can also be great but I don't know what they're about to say but when I have it in front of me I'm really like reading through that internalizing that and I really began to appreciate that also so how about you Wesley so you came out of so you grew up in the I thought probably the point in American church history where there was probably the least liturgy uh I mean and then you go to college you start meeting people from you know different experiences and then you travel around the world so what, what's your experience been since then and what well, have you learned and how has God used yeah learning about different ways different groups worship so in college I had some exposure uh, at, at a local church uh, but also I ended up writing a paper my senior paper was on Thomas Cranmer uh, he, Thomas Cranmer your was senior a fa- paper at UNC yes oh wow was a, Thomas Cranmer was a one of the a leader in what would become the Anglican Church, become the Church of England. He was sort of the founding bishop uh, when the church split off from the Catholic Church, uh, and Thomas Cranmer was the first head of it. And he wrote he wrote the Book of Common Prayer, and which is which the is kind of like the Protestant litur- liturgy guide, one yes. of the main liturgy guides the, for Protestants that we still use to this day. Yeah, yeah. And and what was fascinating, I remember. Um, speaking with a, a friend and pastor uh, as I was learning more about the Book of Common Prayer um, and the history of it and, and reading and, and learning more about the Book of Common Prayer and I, I went to uh, uh, a friend and a pastor and I was like why are we not all using this? There's, it's so rich uh, it's so rooted in scripture it's so rooted in um uh, the history of God's work in the church, uh, it was really impressive. Um, so I, I was, uh, that was, that was an exposure. That was really my first exposure to what liturgy was about and um, what was involved in what, uh, what seemed to be rote, uh, sort of rote, Memorization and and statements in a church service, and then reading about the reading about it, learning more about the BCP, the Book of Common Prayer, and yeah, the way that the way it was so rooted in Scripture, and it was very rich. Um, I ended up then uh, some years later uh, joining an Anglican church. Um, uh, some years later, uh, a couple times, um, and. Uh, Sort of being, sort of, sort of becoming immersed in the seasons, becoming immersed in the calendar, the liturgical calendar, uh, learning as as Erica was mentioning, learning and kind of memorizing some of those pieces. Um, and I still remember as a, a, a really wonderful Lenten season uh, in in New York at, at one church. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was just. Uh, very rich and um, rewarding and, and blessed Lenten season. Never thought about that before then. Wow. So Baptist kid from North Carolina goes to UNC and writes his paper on Thomas Cranmer. That's yeah, it's pretty that's, cool. Uh, God, God really. And I, did that, do you feel like that helped prepare you for some of the future for, ministries and uh, places oh, you went and countries you, 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 you served in afterward? For, for the churches for the churches that I, where I ended up being involved and 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 uh, yeah uh, just more about preparing and preparing me for life in the church kind of okay 
All right, Carissa, how about you? Um, I guess in college, I mostly was involved with RUF, so Reformed University Fellowship, which is the campus ministry of um, the PCA Church. Um, So even within RUF itself, there were different elements of liturgy. um, But in those years, kind of a variety of churches, some PCA churches, um, like a Southern Baptist non-denominational for a period of time, and my had a stint in Houston for about five and a half years, so attended a Bible church there um, that also maintained certain elements of um, of liturgy as well. So, um, but similar to kind of what Erica said, was probably in those times with my um, original home church in Atlanta, and you know, exposure to different um, prayers, creeds, catechisms, and when I actually really read them or really thought about them <laughs> rather than, you know, just the rote, you know, reading off of the screen, um, was really struck by how deep, um, and like the insights from our brothers and sisters in Christ from, who've gone before us. Um, and so, um, thinking about certain things like Erica was saying, like, oh, I would not have thought of the sin of hatred or anger like that before um, and it kind of helping to illuminate different things or different areas of my life as well yeah, I think that it can be so helpful yeah and confession um, and so many things Thanksgiving confession things that you wouldn't have thought of on your own I was thinking too as you were talking about the book of common prayer I don't know why I think that spontaneity is good and has its place too I don't think we're like this podcast isn't about one versus the other, but incorporating both. But I think in that vein, remembering that the spirit moves in the preparation, the same way with like a sermon. Yeah, you can get up and sometimes in the moment or if you're giving a talk, the spirit might put something on your heart, but also the whole week that you're preparing ahead of time, the spirit's moving as you're reading and preparing, I think, or with music, the same way there's a you know place for spontaneous worship, but also there's a beauty and music that's been prepared and I think that it's unusual for us sometimes to think of prayers that way but like you can look back and see the the beauty of a a prayer that's been thoughtfully prepared by the spirit too, leading you in that so I think that's important as well and one thing for me as someone who you know just thought I thought liturgy was a little strange when I first started (laughs) dabbling in it you know I was in college and I my other friends went to Presbyterian churches and stuff. I grew up mostly in the Pentecostal church, maybe went to like one or two other services. And I remember like they all stand up and they're all like, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And I'm just like, watermelon, watermelon. I'm pretending <laughs> like I, you know, I'm supposed to be like a good Christian. I should know this. I'm just kind of standing up, pretending like I know what's going on. And then, but then as I learned it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. But I, I think for me, as I've, as I've processed it, I was like, one thing that it's, all the Paul talks about one body, many parts. I mean, that, that idea shows up in multiple places in the New Testament letters. But one thing that liturgy does is it allows people who have that gift in the body to write something that people who don't have that gift can use. Not everyone has all the gifts. Not everyone has the gift of prayer. Not everyone has the gift of, you know, like contemplating or or you know, spending time in the word or, or spending time, you know, in confession or these other elements. So when they write these things down and we use them, it, it aids the whole body. So I'm, I'm thankful because I, there are some things that I'm not really good at. So pre-recorded prayers and pre-written prayers are really helpful for someone like me who I'd say doesn't necessarily have the gift of prayer, 
it's hard for me to stay focused. So that that's one thing that's been good for me in my own experience. Um, and that's an introduction also. I mean, as an introduction, whether new believer or old believer, um, you can get in a rut. You don't know, you know, you know, like when the disciples say, Lord, teach us, teach us how to pray. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, if you're a young Christian or a mature Christian, you have these times and moments or seasons and you're just like, I don't know, I don't know what to pray. I don't even know where to, like, you just, it's just, you just get in a fog or whatever it might be. You're struggling and, and so... Yes, a, a, lit, a liturgy, a book of common prayer, something to just this this pray here. Here's how you pray. Yeah, and even just going to the Psalms yeah. uh, at the end of the book of common prayer, or the end of a hymn book, a, a church that had liturgy at the end of their hymn book is just the Psalms, basically yeah, right. 150 ways to pray, and they rewrite them a little bit and change the English a little bit so they could be sung or could be memorized or have responsive reading, but. Yeah, even even incorporating the Bible itself into these daily rhythms and then monthly rhythms, and then when you're at your low or you're at your high, like giving thanks to God, there's a liturgy for that. So as, as we're thinking about this, so my question is for you guys, why do you think uh, liturgy is important for corporate worship? And then a specific question, how do you prepare your heart to enter in for Sunday morning? Like, what are some ways that you kind of prepare yourself to come and worship on Sunday morning? And yeah, just so just think about corporate worship and then the Sunday morning worship experience. Sure. Um, so I think incorporating liturgy into corporate worship is helpful. Um, I know for me, um, I can come in on a Sunday and just be so frazzled from the week or I don't even have kids and I'm running late and <laughs> running into the door, um, running out of the door. So um, I think sometimes having that period of time to just calm my mind, calm my heart. Um, I know growing up, my parents would also try and help us like prepare also for Sunday like as a family in terms of you know the night before generally our our family liturgy if you will every night we would read the Bible and pray together as a family and but especially on Saturday nights we'd also be thinking about trying to be a little bit more intentional about okay let's make sure we're not going to bed super super late um, so that we're so that my brother and I aren't falling asleep in service you know Um, but um, also thinking about you know not to make worship be a rigid and super formal thing um, but I think there is a balance of um, being too casual about it too Um, my mom sometimes would ask me before like if you were going to meet like the most important person in the world or like the president of the United States would you be late would you (laughs) would you have that attitude I'd be like oh probably not Um, so sometimes I try to frame like try to prepare my heart that way um, from that perspective Um, and then again I think at least having grown up in churches where liturgy was a component um, in terms of like creeds and prayers and things like that I think that's helped me Um, and it's helped expose me to other resources um, that I can tap into for those times where um, kind of like y'all shared earlier you know when you're down and you're tired you're in a rut um I also think about it as, 
you know, we put a huge emphasis on the body of Christ, our community, which is super, super important. And But like Hebrews 12 says, we're surrounded by a huge cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us. So there's been thousands and thousands of years of believers who've gone before us um, and helped us um, lay down some creeds and prayers, kind of like you were, you were saying, Danny. Um, and I think we would be remiss to kind of cut off that community, if you will, um, even though they aren't physically here anymore, um, but some of their insights um, and things that they've learned from their walk with the Lord. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite parts about liturgy is that it connects us with the church throughout history. You know, the past 2,000 years, some of these things are, some of these grades are really old, you know, and that like, and it connects us to the church Worldwide, a lot of like mm-hmm. churches throughout the world are, are, you know, having the Lord's Supper, uh, you know, as we are too, you know. Right, and I feel like especially in our times where um, everything is so polarized and so divisive, um, certain creeds, like honestly, even regardless of denominations, um, I know that can also be a interesting subject and total other podcast discussion but um you know the church universal across the world internationally across time these are the truths that we hold to and it's a beautiful um i guess sentiment of unity as well and declaration of what do we believe as christians yeah definitely yeah i think in in terms of how we incorporate it into our worship it or the value of it, what's important about it, I think it's that common language, just that shared language, shared with history, shared with global, as you have just mentioned. Um, but it's a, yeah, it's a common language uh, within the church, uh, even across languages. Um, I remember uh, there was one particular creed, um, I don't know which one it was, Nicene or another, I can't remember the creed, but uh, it uh, um, had been made into a song, so it was easier to remember, but we it had been translated into Russian, so this is when I was living in Ukraine, and um, I w- would lead worship, and so I, you know, certain things I just, you know, sang them in Russian, so I knew them in Russian, and I remember being... Um, uh, on a train and and um, gentleman on the the car was asking me what I was doing there and I explained I you know I was there uh, uh, to help the church and to help the church grow and uh, tell people about Jesus and he was like well tell me what what do you believe and I was trying to and so it just kind of naturally came out and I just kind of I believe in Jesus I believe he is the son of God I believe he died and rose again and I just sort of went through the liturgy of that song to tell him what I believe um, and yeah so there's again there's a shared language and yeah again shared across history shared around shared with the church uh, globally I love that. Well, that story is incredible. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that you're Russian. I knew you lived there. Wow, you even memorized the songs. And did you lead worship like saying? I, I, I led worship. Wow. Yeah, so that is really. There, cool. there are some songs actually today. There are some songs I, I refuse to sing them in English because they're. I feel like they're better in Russian. <laughs> yeah, and while we're thinking about it, everybody, we really do need to pray for 
Russia and Ukraine yes. right now. It's yeah. Our brothers and sisters there are, are in a very, very difficult situation. So we need to pray for those those places. Yeah. But wow, that's really awesome, Leslie. Um, all right. So how do we incorporate liturgy into our daily, weekly, and monthly routines? As I mentioned earlier, liturgy isn't just corporate. There's also elements of it that are linked to some of the stuff we use corporately. Like you can you can read the Book of Common Prayer on your own. You can read Psalms on your own. You can. Uh, we all have liturgy practices as Christians. Uh, you know, quite probably the most common one would be the quiet time. Uh, but how do how do you incorporate liturgy into your daily, weekly, and monthly routines, Erica? Why don't we start with you? Okay, and um, even to back up to as far as like preparing for Sunday worship, and this could be part of this too. Like a Sunday is different, setting it apart. I know um, we like normally just listen to only like worship music on the way to church. You know, that's just one way to set it apart. When the kids were little. And they woke up really early on Sundays, and we had to wait a while before we went to church. They could watch Veggie Tales on Sunday mornings. That was a way to set Sunday apart. Um, now, as far as daily, weekly, monthly, especially as you think of like liturgy as like habits or patterns, um, you know, I think just what do you do when you wake up? You know, do you go? Is it your phone first, or do you say a prayer when you first wake up, or when you go to bed at night? Um, I know uh, a book that's been really helpful for me, and I know a lot of people at Waypoint, is Every Moment Holy. Um, and there's there's now two editions, but it just has like different prayers and liturgies um, for all sorts of things. I know um, I've been to several houses um, from Waypoint, and they have the liturgy for changing diapers over the changing table. And I just think that's just beautiful and brilliant when you're a young parent. How many times a day do you have to change a diaper and then just to stop as you're changing that diaper and remember, you know, let me do this service and love for God or as I'm drinking my morning coffee or going. So I think those are just simple ways, simple patterns throughout your day. Another good book that's been really um, helpful for me, it's called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. It's by Tish Harrison Warren. And she just goes through her day and talks about, okay, I'm making my bed. What does that remind me of? God putting order in the world. I'm going to stop a moment, or I'm, you know, on my way to talk to someone. I'm going to pray. Just simple ways, very simple things throughout your day. Um, I think sometimes just things that, like uh, Chrissy, you said, your family's, you know, liturgy. I think we have just a few things like that. Whenever the kids would um, start a new school or do something new. You know, we'd always pray the prayer from Deuteronomy, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. I don't have a lot of uh, verses memorized, but that's one, and they always know that. And I remember Maggie even telling me earlier this year in college, she'll say that to herself before she starts something new now because that was just ingrained. So just simple things that kind of work with your personality and your family's personality, routines that sometimes at the time just seem you know, wrote like, okay, like mom's doing that prayer again, but like it becomes ingrained and part of the the patterns of your life. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the Christian life isn't just feeling exciting emotions. You know, I think a lot of it is just the day in and day out. And God gave us, you know, these rhythms to help us like we talked about earlier. Yeah. And I think those reminders that every moment is holy. Um, I know that's something 
I struggle with on a day-to-day basis because, you know, you get wrapped up doing things, the same thing over and over again. Um, but God called our called us to live our lives as like a living sacrifice. Every action, every thought, you know, we should be capturing every thought. All of our actions should be pointing to Him. Um, and frankly, for me, complacency is really easy. Um, and I think having some of those reminders throughout the day of like, I can be doing all of these things for the Lord, um, you know, whether it's work or chores or, um, or you know, during quiet time um, and making that time to do it. Um, and so I think that's really wonderful, the, the ordinary um, and God uses ordinary people. He uses our ordinary day-to-day um, to work in our lives and to work in other people's lives. No, I, I don't have much. To, I mean, I think on that day-to-day, that's really great. I think for um, it, in a couple of places, we've been part of churches where the the calendar. So you're thinking like uh, you know, Erica and Carissa were talking about kind of that day-to-day and. Um, in that one in one church body where the calendar was really important and so uh, knowing being aware of and not just awareness but kind of embracing and and really sort of resting in some of those seasons uh, of Advent and Christmas and Epiphany and so right now we're in the ordinary time is this period today like our where we are now we're coming very quickly upon the Lenten season um, and after that the season of uh, Easter and then the season of Pentecost and back to ordinary. So there's this whole, yes, the liturgical calendar, there's some really cool things about it, um, uh, not least of which is Pancake Tuesday, uh, which is the, the, the eve of uh, Ash Wednesday. Uh, which you know we so I mean there's there's the fun elements. Some people call it Mardi Gras, but in the Jordan <laughs> no, home, the where Jordan, did Pancake Tuesday Pancake come from? Pancake Tuesday rocks. Uh, we hosted a Pancake Tuesday uh, um, uh, evening uh, for like four years in a row, uh, doing a real pancake uh, celebration to kind of prepare us mentally and in some ways uh, gastronomically for uh, for Lent. So just, I know the Jordans, the Jordans live in Westlake, so if you just show up Tuesday night, just drive around Westlake neighborhood and look for uh, March 1st, and just look March for a bunch we'll, of cars, and yeah. you we'll, can... We have to organize something for pancakes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, well, just feeding off what you said, I, yeah, I, I love what you guys, uh, Chris and Erica, said about daily and weekly, and you guys get to hear some of my stuff as I preach sermons and other things, but... Just so you know how what we're trying to do at Waypoint is we're trying to incorporate this into worship, uh, into our Sunday gatherings, into our community group times, into other other areas. But we're doing uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, twice a month. Uh, we went back to once a month just for for COVID, but we're going back to twice a month. And the first Sunday of the month is we're going to actually do a confessional prayer, and then hmm. the second Sunday of the month we're going to pray for something going on in the community. So even in the, in the Lord's Prayer, there's multiple ways that we're going to approach it as a community. Uh, so we're, we're trying to help you guys in that, help you in during Advent season, during Lent season this year, during Holy Week, uh, putting just a drape on the cross behind our heads, you know, as we mm. preach that's in the front of this, the sanctuary that's in front of us. And, and so you see it. 
and then you notice that the when Christ, you know, when it's Ascension Sunday, Christ has ascended. That's how long he was on earth. And then, so we're trying to incorporate that. I know our children's ministry and youth ministry are also incorporating it. The youth are going bowling at Mardi Gras bowling. That's Matt Markovitz's brain. You know, he's, he's the mastermind behind that. He's like, I, I was like, so you've been planning this bowling trip and you waited till, uh, Mardi Gras. what's called Fat Tuesday to go to Mardi Gras bowling. But so we are trying guys to help you in this. And, and, uh, but that leads into the next question. So what are the potential blind spots or pitfalls that using liturgy might present? Like anything in the church, we could take something good and then make it not good, you know? So any, any uh, thoughts on that? I think, um, what what people might often fear is that it might just become rote and then it doesn't reach the heart. So I think, you know, there has to be intentionality and engaging your mind and your heart. Another thing I thought of is one of the kind of purposes of liturgy, like you said earlier, a lot of people were illiterate, so it was like repetition so people could remember but now that most people are reading, we don't want the opposite to take place, that it become, seems like it's more um, academic or something that somebody would feel somehow, you know, cut off from that also, that we, that we also want to teach that it's very um, practical to and for everyone. Yeah. No, yeah, I think it's that it's you, you yeah, if, if, if it leads you to kind of not think for yourself you know you're you're not you're going to pray pray your own prayer like you need to you know sometimes you got to cry out to god and so you have missing that mm-hmm. i think of it almost also like devotionals and um, devotionals are there to help us you know dig a little bit deeper into god's word um but kind of like Wesley's saying, it's still not a complete substitute for our own faith and, you know, putting the effort in um, from that perspective. And um, totally agree about the pitfall of it becoming rote and formulaic and it just being um, disconnected from the heart is just like words that you spit out. Um, I know I've definitely been guilty of that before too. Just, oh, the words are on the screen. Okay, I'll just read it. Um, I know I do that sometimes even with worship songs. Like, oh, I love this song. I love the music. But am I really thinking about the words um, and letting that soak in and and, um, and minister to my heart? And it's to go back to, to our comment earlier that we do learn liturgy even when we don't realize it even if it's just like you know somebody prays dear god and this and that you know like we still follow our pattern without realizing it and um i'll notice like when we pray before the meal are we we don't use a traditional liturgy but we so often say the same things like oh thanks for this meal this day whatever that there's oftentimes i'll say did we pray you know, because yeah. it becomes yeah. Yeah. so habitual. I'm like, oh, obviously I was not really engaging my heart and mind and talking to the God of the universe about my meal because I'm like eating. Oh, did we forget to pray? Yeah, we just prayed, Mom. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so I yeah. think that like even in our non-liturgical type prayers, we can do that same thing too. So, yeah. Yeah, and Waypoint, we're on the other end. We probably, a lot of people at Waypoint didn't use a lot of methods to help us draw near to God. So we're probably on the reactionary side of the equation where 
we're beginning to use these methods. Uh, but all of us know the kid who grew up in Catholic church or whatever. He's like, yeah, I didn't notice anything. I didn't pay attention, whatever. So it, there, there's, there are some pitfalls in anything that we could turn into an idol, you know, and keep us from really getting to know God. But that's, but the point of this is to help all of us, you know, just learn different methods and techniques and look at the big picture global body of Christ, the whole, the whole council of scripture and say, what are all the different ways that we can use all our different senses and experiences and, and even the different body, the literal body parts, the people that God has brought together to, uh, to worship. So, um, this is kind of on my heart, you know, what do you, what do you think life circumstances and personality play into using liturgy? Like Erica and Chris have both mentioned that maybe having some things memorized helped them, uh, in the past, but yeah, any, any thoughts on this? Uh, just, just kind of how somebody might approach liturgy, how you might help somebody out, or, or just, just how it's, it's played in, in your own life. So I think uh, you kind of hit on this already, that people tend to be reactionary. Lots of times if you grew up with a, without a lot of formal liturgy, then it sounds really interesting and cool. You know, oh, your church has like candles and things there aside. I'm interested in that. But if you grew up with that, then sometimes you're like, oh, they're so spontaneous over here. I'm really drawn to that. So we tend to be reactionary. So sometimes that can play a role. I think also um, if you tend to be really interested in history and words, you're going to be more drawn to liturgy because there is a beauty to it. There's an, you know, an artistic, uh, if you have artistic bent, you might be more drawn to it. So in that sense, personality might play a role. I agree with what Erica said. I think some of it's background, um, maybe personality types too. If you tend to like to know what to expect um, all the time, maybe a more formal, if you will, type worship structure um, just suits you better. Um, And maybe it's not as strange to somebody who might be a little bit more spontaneous. Um, And, you know, I think sometimes um, maybe when we're younger, we we think we know everything or, oh, we've heard this over and over again, but until you start getting a little bit older, having a little bit more life experience, um, speaking from personal experience, and then you start realizing how precious some of those things might be and might go through phases even, you know, within different decades of your life. And for me, just, you know, yeah, I just meet so many different people and so many different personality types phases of life different cultural contexts so one thing that liturgy does is it gives you something to go to to worship god and something to cling around and i do wesley alluded to this but i love how it unites us with people from around the world and our brothers when you say the lord's prayer uh or you sing holy 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 i think those are the two things which is you know a hymn written a protestant hymn but those are the two things that I feel like I've been in other countries and heard it sung or said, and I didn't even understand the language, but I knew what was going on. I could be a part of it. And I've actually been in worship services where just people just sing it in your own language or say the Lord's Prayer in your own language. Well, you know, so four or five different languages are happening at the same time. So, so I think that yeah, like, so for me, my personality, like, originally didn't like it. I was like, ah, what is this? This is weird, you know. Like, and then as I engaged in it, I was like, wow, there's so much we can learn 
from all these different parts of the body. So I, I hope that you guys can learn from the different parts of the body. And I hope this, this podcast was encouraging for you. But I want to end on this final question that all th- I want all three of you to answer. And just as we head into the 40-day season of Lent, we'll share a little bit about this in our community groups. Uh, we'll actually have a prayer time for the community groups uh, that meet during the week, what would be Ash Wednesday week next week. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, as we pre- head into this season and preparing our hearts for Easter, what encouragement do you have for Waypoint people? Just personally or how they could use this season or even how you, it's encouraged you and you can encourage others with your, with your encouragement. I, I, I mean, um, dive into the Lenten season. It's not just about giving up a food or something or a habit. There's, the, It's definitely preparation for Easter. It's that remembrance piece, um, remembering um, and preparing. Uh, one, you know, uh, when I think back to this time at, at one church with uh, uh a very intentional Lenten season, um, you know, you you don't sing hallelujah during Lent, for example, uh, by, say, traditional uh, liturgy. Um, and I remember, th- I remember the absence of it and that registering quite deeply in me so that by the time we got to Easter Sunday, there was this, it was like one that was just sort of burst out of everyone to sing hallelujah. Like there was this, everyone wanted it. There was this craving for it. Uh, and it was just really cool because, again, it's not so much about, yeah, you, you give up um, some kind of dessert and so you're craving it by the end of 40 days. Uh, this was just being able to shout hallelujah you know wanting to see the sun wanting to see the light of 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 the sun so it's just that bursting forth in glorious day as the hymn would say you know it's kind of cool so i don't know just kind of dive into it if 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 you're interested and willing to dive into what lent is all about um i guess also from even just today's podcast doing this with you all um maybe encouragement of um you know as the spirit leads of you know what different rhythms of worship or liturgy um to plug into whether it's you know the liturgical calendar or if it's day-to-day rhythms um, I think that's the beautiful thing about Christianity is that you know you don't have to be a pastor you don't have to be in quote-unquote ministry um, but every moment is holy like we can redeem the day-to-day everyday things and I know that's something that I want to work on um, and you know we can encourage each other as we pursue that. Yeah, I think that's good. I think the times that I have, and I and I pray and hope that this year will be the same. But when I've really been intentional about the Lenten season, whether it's taking some just a time to pray that wouldn't be my normal time to pray to stop, or um, or when I give something up to like be intentional about thinking about why I'm giving that up or using that time to pray, whatever it is. But being intentional, like you were saying, Wesley. 
um, has been so great. And then to remember then that Easter is a celebration. It's just a little glimpse or foretaste, you know, I think even like a simple recitation of, you know, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. And, you know, like, but really you've been, it's, everything's been leading up to this for the past, you know, few weeks to, to really, yeah, celebrate. Yeah. So I encourage you guys to jump in and and whatever God has for you, take advantage of this opportunity, knowing that brothers and sisters throughout the world are also taking 40 days to prepare their hearts for Easter, prepare our hearts for remembering the uh, the suffering and, and the, the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. I want to end with an actual liturgy from the New Testament. This is in... 1 Timothy 1.17, it's the end of a section where Paul is uh, introducing something that most uh, Bible scholars would say was part of an early Christian liturgy, and he says, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And let's go out and, and give him the praise and the glory through liturgy. Thanks, y'all, for joining us. 